Hello, everyone, and welcome to It's All Consciousness. I'm your host, Miriam Knight, and our two intrepid reviewers are Cynthia Sue Larson and Brent Marchand. And today we have our reviewers roundtable. Cynthia Sue Larson is a best-selling author of six books, and she helps people visualize and access whole new worlds of possibility. She has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley, an MBA, and a doctor of divinity. She hosts the Living on Quantum Dream radio show and has been featured on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, and the BBC. She's presented papers at international conferences on science, spirituality, and consciousness, and her website is realityshifters.com. Welcome, Cynthia Sue, and what is your first pick? Uh, Thank you, Miriam. Such a pleasure to be here. My first book is called The Logic of Chance, A New Approach to the I Ching Interpretation for Decision-Making. This is a book by Alberto Ramon. And if you're not familiar, I think most people know about the I Ching. It's also called The Book of Changes. It's been reputed to be the oldest book in existence, born in China over 3,000 years ago. And a lot of people, including myself, rely upon it as this wonderful intuitive tool for making decisions. And you may think that then you're all set. All you need is that book. And I think there's a degree of truth to that. You can just play around with the I Ching and get good results. But having said that, and that's that's pretty much how I got to use the I Ching, but this book, The Logic of Chance, is wonderful because the author clearly has given a lot of thought to providing insights for how to make best use of this divination tool. And there are guides that focus primarily on how to interpret answers, but this book helps readers first grasp the importance of how to phrase the questions. Aha. Mm-hmm. And this is really critical because, um, you know, people might assume, of course we know how to ask questions. We've been asking questions all our lives. Okay, true. Um, but having said that again, the, what's really terrific about Alberto Ramon's take on this is that he's um, used so many different starting points and in, indicates in the book how you can get really different answers based on the way you ask the questions. And because he respects the I Ching so much, so obviously, he's able to lead readers through these recommended ways to ask questions to get the most benefit from the I Ching. And then the other thing he does that's wonderful is he suggests uh, some evidence that short-term outcomes for immediate, not-too-distant future Uh, prognosis kind of readings can be divined by consulting with the I Ching. And he has lots of examples of that. One of the more amusing and entertaining sections is questions that should be avoided. (laughs) (laughs) Always good for a laugh. Not if it's your life, but... (laughs) (laughs) And so that's mostly things like um, how to avoid including assumptions, vagueness, or focusing too much on other people rather than yourself. So that's the nutshell about this book. It does contain all 64 hexagrams for purists who want to see the I Ching in the book. There it is. Um, it does also include key concepts and ideas associated with each of them. But, however, it does not include all the changing line descriptions. For that, there's um, a nice link to the website that you can go to for free access. So you don't have to purchase anything else. Unless you're a diehard I Ching fan like myself, and then you've already got, of course, your other books that walk you through that part of it. So this is, again, is a wonderful book, The Logic of Chance. 
And if you're new to the I Ching, I think it's a great starting point because then you can read the book, get your questions worded properly so you don't have disappointing results. Go to the website, do your I Ching readings, and get fantastic results. And like Alberto suggests, you can actually use this to make important decisions in your life. And that's exactly how I use the I Ching. If there's a decision in my life that's really important, then um, I go to the I Ching. And I've done that um, for decades now. So do you find do you find that there's a big variability in the description of the different hexagrams f- across different authors? Right. I, it's it's important to find a good book where the descriptions are uh, they fit what makes sense to you. And so, for me, it's a very I think it's a personal matter. It's something just like you might find any divination tool to be a very personal thing. So. I, I'm not going to get into that right here. I'm just talking about this one book. Um, But this book itself, it does cover the basic concepts for each hexagram without getting into the changing lines. So it's pretty good. I like to see bits of the original text. I'm a purist. I like to go back to the original source. Um, Not that I read Chinese, but I like to get down to that triple meaning. They they have triple entendres and things. I love that because then I get the feeling of multidimensionality that I think the authors originally intended. I think that just points out the aptness of the title, which is kind of an oxymoron, the logic of chance. That's true. It's kind of a mind bender, but I think that's appropriate of the I Ching as well. I think it's perfect. Okay, and that's a perfect segue to Brent. Now, Brent Marchand has been a lifelong movie fan and student of metaphysics. And his books, Get the Picture, Conscious Creation Goes to the Movies, and Consciously Created Cinema, The Music Lo- Movie Lover's Guide to the Law of Attraction. They both provide a reader-friendly look at how the principles of conscious creation, and the law of attraction are illustrated through film. His blog on metaphysical cinema and other self-empowerment topics can be found at brentmarchantsblog.blogspot.com. Welcome, Brent. Tell us what you've been watching. Well, right now we're in the midst of the uh, summer movie season, which tends to be dominated by a collection of... uh, superhero movies and action-adventure films and silly comedies and animation. But there are some good movies out there if you know where to look. And um, there's uh, several that I found that I think are, you know, well worth your, uh, listeners, um, well, well worth your listeners' time. Uh, my first one is called Beatrice at Dinner. And that's probably nearing the end of its theatrical run right now. It should be available on home um, viewing options in the near future. But basically, it tells the story of a woman who is a, um, a massage therapist and very consciously uh, oriented in many different disciplines, uh, who emigrated to the U.S. from Mexico, having grown up under very difficult conditions. And she's um, enjoying her life here, and she works with people who are in need of help and really seems very fulfilled by what she's doing. One thing that's interesting is that she's very troubled by a lot of what she sees in the world, though. And she looks around and sees a lot of inequities. She sees a lot of, um, a lot of strife, a lot of problems with the environment. And she feels sad because um, she looks upon it and says, you know, we're the ones who are doing this to ourselves. We should really be more conscientious about this. 
So she gets an opportunity to voice her opinions about this when she's an unexpected guest at a dinner party hosted by one of her clients who is a, um, a wealthy businessman and is hosting a dinner to celebrate the closing of a big business deal. And suddenly you're, she's thrown into a situation where you have the haves and the have-nots coming right head-to-head -head with one another. Uh, and then she is faced with the idea of how do I respond to these circumstances? Do I use the same tactics that they do, or do I try to lead by example? Something that causes her a lot of, uh, of thought-provoking soul-searching, really, in terms of how to go about it. Um, she's certainly faced with a, a formidable adversary who is really self-centered, totally into himself, uh, doesn't really care what happens to other people when he's developing his business projects. So it's a, a kind of a, um, in many ways, a, a sociological satire of, of where we're at right now as a society. And um, seeing the debates play out between these uh, different characters is, is quite fascinating. It's often quite humorous. And in a lot of ways, you never quite know where it's going to go. So it's kind of interesting in the fact that you have a dinner party that actually has suspense as part of its theme. <laughs> um, it's a really, a, a really wonderful, thought-provoking film. Features a terrific performance by Salma Hayek in the lead role. Uh, I hope that she does not get forgotten when it comes to be awards time because she really does a great job. Uh, it's got a very interesting soundtrack. It's beautifully filmed. Uh, gives you a lot of food for thought. My only criticism of it is, it, it without giving away the ending of the movie, it does fall on a uh, a plot device that's been used a couple times before. I was a little disappointed by that, but aside of that one shortcoming, I thought this was a really good movie, and I think, um, you know, conscious-oriented and uh, conscientious-oriented uh, viewers and listeners would really get a lot out of this film. Mm -hmm. And it's called Beatrice at Dinner. Beatrice at Dinner. Great. Okay, back to you, Cynthia. Great. The next book I have is called The Compassion Revolution, 30 Days of Living from the Heart. And this is by Amy Leigh McCree. And what makes this book so special to me is that it's, it's first of all, it's kind of the pocket-sized book, maybe a bit bigger than that, but definitely you can fit it in your purse, you can take it with you. And the reason you'd want to do that is because it's designed to walk a person through, like it says, 30 days of self-love, peace, and living from the heart. And for those of us who may not have had all of that in our childhood as just the way we were brought up, and we've gone through a spiritual awakening and, and we're moving ourselves through that process, it's perfect. So for example, on just randomly opening the book up on day 15, it has inspirational stories and just shares, like for example, a story about a person who... Uh, rushed from brunch with friends to a party for his nieces and his sister was throwing a play zone pizza party for the kids so when he got there he played with the girls he had a blast next he went off to racquetball then drinks with bill who was going through a breakup and begged him to come be his wingman and when he got home late sunday night his phone rang and then a friend called to talk about her life and talk for an hour. When he finally hung up with her, he was exhausted. Mm -hmm. So this, I think that's kind of, when people hear that, they're like, oh yeah, boy, does that sound familiar. So, and then it just continues with more of the craziness. And the point of this chapter is just how to take your, some time for yourself. Give yourself downtime. 
sort of give yourself a break when you need it so that you don't burn your candle at both ends. So it's basic information like this, but it's combined with some really cool things like pointing out that you are the hero, the heroine in your own life and how to be kinder to yourself by asking questions. So it sounds basic, but I think the basics are the key and really gets into some stuff that I don't hear everybody talking about, just about like, for example, how relaxing kindness can be. And you do hear that kindness is strong, but this book really drives that point home, that compassion. And even when you're going through tough times, because that's when often when our best intentions totally fall apart. <laughs> you know, that's true for hmm. me and probably is true for most people. You know, that's that's when I'll hear things coming out of my mouth that I heard as a child. And that was probably not the best thing to say. And then i like, okay, let's back up and calm down and try to redo um, but it's just a process. So being kinder, being more compassionate is a gift of strengthening and resilience that we give to ourselves, we give to the world. And the net benefit is huge because it really helps each of us recognize that there's this oneness, this connection between all of us, this interconnection that permeates everything that we do. And the author lives that 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 feeling. So she really brings that and I don't know her personally, but Amy Lay Mercury brings that quality of presence and compassion into every page of the book. So she may not be that perfect in real life, but the book is fabulous because you can flip it open randomly or you can stick with the program and you know just take it day by day. Uh, I'm just flipping open randomly again. Day 24 is all about choosing empathy in the world. And that's where we so often see people who they talk like they know it all. They talk like they've seen it all. And supposedly that's the more advanced attitude. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I think we may accept that culturally, but at our own peril. And so here is a book that helps to bring us back to uh, a a real way of living where we can um, do things like risk rejection in order to help. And so instead of, falling victim to this um, this attitude of being jaded and, you know, seen it all, know it all, uh, and recognizing, okay, that's not really open-hearted, is it? And so it is, it's, um, it's a risk when you offer an ex- and to be vulnerable to others, when you extend yourself, then you, you risk getting smacked down by others, whereas if you're jaded, you don't. But um, the author really points out the value of it. Mm-hmm. And so, again, she's just, I think she's a perfect guide for this topic. I really love it. And I think she's uh, just the right thing at this time. I think our world needs compassion now more than ever. And, again, the name of the book is The Compassion Revolution, 30 Days of Living from the Heart. And I really recommend the book just as a ray of sunshine in what could feel like just an overfilled, too busy cruel, um, meaningless world. So a lot of people, they get very upset about the news. Um, This is the perfect antidote. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to insert my book here because you're talking about compassion. And it's easy to be compassionate or easier to be compassionate when uh, you're living a relatively comfortable life. But in the news Nowadays, we see how many people are really suffering, um, are refugees, and 
are um, just having a really tough time. And to put it in perspective, this book is called The Children of Wilsdon Lane, Beyond the Kinder Transport, a Memoir of Music, Love, and Survival by Mona Golubek and Lee Cohen. Now, Mona tells the story of her mother, Lisa Jura, who was an aspiring pianist in Vienna just at the dawn of World War II. Um, When her beloved music professor told her he couldn't teach her anymore because she was Jewish, it shocked her, but then things got worse and worse. And um, it became clear to the family that um, life will never be the same and their uh, very existence was threatened. Her parents managed to get her a seat on a kinder transport train, which was, um, (laughs) in fact, her father won a ticket by gambling um, because um, his profession uh, was uh, decimated by the Nazis. He was no longer allowed to sell to non-Jews. So um, they saw the handwriting on the wall. And you can imagine putting your child alone on a train to a different country where she could barely speak the language and, you know, just desperately hoping that she would survive. Anyway, she arrived in London and um, was placed in a children's hostel on Wilsdon Lane along with 30 other young refugees, and they became her surrogate family, along with um, the working-class British women in the East End Garment Factory, where she was working as well. And her passion for music, the the owner of the hostel, had a piano and allowed her, in in fact, encouraged her to play and, and made time within the chore schedule for her to practice. And the music seemed to have been the some one ray of light, not only for the the children in the hostel, but also for neighbors around who would stop everything to come and listen. And uh, her dream of becoming a concert pianist was kind of supported and adopted by everybody around her. Um, the, the the ladies in the garment factory um, made her an outfit so she could go on a, um, an audition to the Royal Academy of Music. And everybody, the kids, took turns drilling her on technique and theory. And, um, you know, I don't want to uh, spoil the story, but it was so poignant. Um, you need a, a box of tissues to hand, um, but also incredibly uplifting. And I saw um, a one-woman show put on by Mona, um, dramatizing the uh, events in the book. It was terribly moving. And she's now going around and presenting this show to and, and talks to youth groups around the country. And I think the idea of teaching people the reality of what it means to be a refugee um, really is probably one of the best ways of encouraging understanding and compassion in, in the younger generation. So, as I said, the book was originally published in 2002, but um, came out last year as a reading group guide. And I, I warmly recommend this 
for anyone who wants to do a, a study group. It's immensely rewarding and, and ultimately incredibly uplifting. Called The Children of Wilsdon Lane by Mona Golubek and Lee Cohen. So I think that brings us back to Brent. It's interesting that both of those books that you both talked about, I think, make wonderful companions to uh, the first movie I talked about as well, Beatrice at Dinner. There's certainly mm-hmm. a compassion theme running through that as well. Um, it, it's something we need so much at this time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, another movie that has come out and um, has probably ended its theatrical run for the moment but will be available on home viewing options soon is another movie that talks about the need to develop consensus. And that's a film called The Journey. Um, This is what I would call a speculative historical drama. It's based in fact, but there's basically a part where you have to kind of do a sort of a what if while watching the movie as it plays out. It's set in 2006 when the peace talks started between the rival factions in the Civil War in Northern Ireland, um, led by Ian Paisley representing the Unionists and by Martin McGuinness representing the IRA. These two men had never met before. They, in fact, they had never even spoken before. They were sworn enemies. And yet suddenly they found themselves in the midst of their talks in St. Andrews, Scotland, having to go on a road trip in the same car for about an hour. So that's where this movie picks up because it basically says, what did those two talk about during that hour? And it's interesting because um, neither one of them has really had spoken much about what happened after the fact because they did eventually reach an accord and they had a lasting peace that came out of it. But there was that one little gap period of this journey where they went from being sworn enemies to suddenly being able to talk about making peace. Um, the film is um, really very cleverly written, features a number of interesting dialogues between the two characters that are both uh, poignant, funny, uh, emotional, heartfelt, um, but they also get down to what had kept the people apart for so long um, and what it would need also for them to come together. And given the fact that this was a huge gap that had to be bridged in order for peace to be reached. Um, they really had to go a long way to come to understand one another and to overcome their differences to bring about the lasting peace that they've had since then. Mm-hmm. Um, the film is uh, features a pair of wonderful lead performances by Timothy Spall and Calm Meany. Uh, I hope again that they're considered for awards later in the year because they're both absolutely terrific. Um, And um, the only problem I have with the movie is that because it's speculative, I think it felt like it could just kind of do whatever it wanted with the writing. And it does go a little over the top and a little off the rails in a few spots. But for the most part, I think, you know, viewers will come away from this film having a new appreciation of what it's like to go through the consensus making process and also even to understand what this whole problem in Northern Ireland was. It went on for so long. Uh, so once again, the name of the movie is The Journey. Uh, I would say look for it on home viewing options within probably the next month or two and enjoy it. I just absolutely loved it. Great. Thank you, Brent. Okay, Cynthia, what do you have now? Oh, wow. I've got something super, super special. <laughs> <laughs> this book, oh, I, I, it's not often that I get a book, read it just about instantly, and then immediately start rereading it. But this book feels like heaven to me. 
And it's called Born Aware. The title again, Born, like to be born, and then aware. And it's stories and insights from those spiritually aware since birth. The author is Diane Brandon. And she's written many other books. She's an intuitive counselor and consultant. And she's been teaching people how to access intuitive information since 1996. So what happened is, and the reason she came to write this book, is she had been doing some of her consulting with clients and came to find out that they spontaneously started talking about um, really early childhood memories. And I'm talking going back to like the moment of birth, sometimes before they were born. And in this process, it, it occurred to her that there is something that's never really been covered because there was a common thread between the reports she was hearing from these very different individuals. And so as she created a questionnaire, a survey, she conducted a series of 12 surveys with different individuals. And she shares the spiritual insights and wisdom from their points of view. And what, what this really does is it shows the point of view of knowing when a person knows that they've come from somewhere else. And I should divulge at this point, I'm one of the people she interviewed and that, that's why that's part of why this means so much to me because from the point of view of remembering what feels like heaven when you're here on earth, it's, um, well, it's trying, I'll put it that way. And so, and, but to read the accounts from all these people who had similar experiences to mine and said things that I'd forgotten to put in there or I felt, but I just didn't have words for, wow. So it, it just feels, that's why it feels like heaven to me. It also includes Diane's story because she also has this beautiful vision of the spiritual true nature of reality being revealed. And so what's happening with this book is that she's showing not only is it personal to have natal awareness, but she, the author believes that it, it our norm so all of us have this when we're children. You can see it in baby's eyes. And then what tends to happen for most of us is that the higher spiritual awareness possibility can kind of get shut down or closed off um, due to what's going on in childhood. And so it's a rare thing when people continue to live uh, with feet in both worlds, with just this one on one side knowing that you're a mortal being, you will die, and on the other hand, knowing that you have no fear whatsoever of death and that you have this spiritual orientation that never goes away. So it gives those people interviewed in the, her book an orientation of being able to dip back and forth between the human persona and what she calls higher spiritual awareness. And that's... Uh, and then that's higher spiritual awareness. It doesn't mean you're a better person and because, like she said, babies are coming in with this awareness. So it's, it, instead it means that it's part of our human possibility, our path, that we can access higher knowledge, higher truth, higher wisdom, such as all the movies we talk about on this show, all the books we cover. And so the other thing that is really important about the book is that it points out that connection to God that most of the born aware individuals have at their very core, which need, means there's no need for intermediaries between God and us. Also, there's a lack of fear that I mentioned, total fearlessness, a sense of trust and faith that all is well, regardless what it looks like. And so these are the kind of qualities a lot of people are seeking. So her book in chapter 19, it's my favorite chapter because even if you're not born aware, I love this chapter. It's all about grooming higher soul awareness. So her theory is that we all had um, this born awareness and it 
kind of um, got blurred over. It's, you know, it's sort of this thing where a lot of us just forget about it by being raised by parents who have also forgotten about it in a culture that has totally forgotten about it. So this chapter 19 gets into how to live in resonant harmony with spiritual awareness. And it's just basic things like meditating, looking into an animal's eyes, encouraging us to recognize our spiritual core. And Diane Brandon writes, I wouldn't be surprised if a large percentage of babies have this awareness at birth before amnesia erases any memory of it. So that's the key here. So so it's really not about people who are, um, you know, definitely having issues, but instead, I, I, I mean, the, uh, let's see, I don't know how to word this. The born aware thing, I should also explain, I'm tripping on my tongue here because... Uh, one thing that people get confused about is they'll they'll talk about um, children who remember previous lives, and that mm-hmm. is not what she's talking about here. So it is different than anything that's ever been covered in metaphysical books, per se, because uh, and it's not discounting past lives; it's just covering a totally different angle here. So a child who remembers past lives—that's really cool, and it does suggest a lot of what's being covered in this book. But what Diane has done with her series of questions, the way that she then puts it all together and shows the similarities, is she's basically showing sort of as a snapshot of what the spiritual higher soul awareness is all about. And I just love books like that. And this book does a great job of it. It's, um, it has each of the different chapters broken down with each person's story. Mine is called Whoops, Wrong Planet. Um, <laughs> that's how I felt, and some, I often do still feel that way. <laughs> so, oh, it's funny. Um, but I love, I just love all the stories. I love the way that um, some of the people talk about their synesthesia, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get into that, but here it is. They talk about animals and nature, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, I don't know if that's true of the others who are included, that they just felt like, wow, if I had more time, I would have covered all that. But there's just such an overlap. So it really gives a complete picture of the whole journey. And again, this is, I think it's a show changer. This is a game changer. This book can change your world. It's called Born Aware, Stories and Insights from Those Spiritually Aware Since Birth by Diane Brandon. And again, um, don't worry if you don't remember uh, how to access early childhood memories and all that. It's not too late for anybody. We can all access it anytime and that's chapter 19. And I think by the time you get to that point in the book, you're feeling it. You're in that zone. I think that's what this book does so well. Wow. Okay. Another book for my reading list. Brent, what have you have? Well, one movie that's um, out right now that has a very strong spiritual metaphysical theme running through it is called A Ghost Story. And this is a film to which I have to give kind of a conditional review. Um, basically, it tells the story of a young songwriter played by Casey Affleck, who's tragically killed in a uh, car accident, <clears throat> excuse me, right in front of his home. And since it happened so suddenly, he's not quite sure what happens. So he basically uh, is taken to the morgue for identification and then wakes up and is sort of bewildered as far as what's taken place. Doesn't quite know what to do. So he basically does what probably seems most natural to them, and this is that he goes home, literally, to the place he had been living. And while he's there, he's trying to figure out exactly what happened to him, why he's, why he's there, what's going on. 
Um, he ends up uh, seeing scenes that go on in the house after he's passed on, uh, particularly those involving his significant other, who's played by Rooney Mara. And he's um, a little distressed at times. He's a little puzzled at times. He's um, unsure of what he's seeing at times, even though it's appearing to him as clear as day, basically because he hasn't quite figured out that he's dead. Uh, or at least doesn't fully understand exactly what all the implications of that are. Uh, as the movie continues on, he basically goes into sort of a journey of exploration, and he begins to see different concepts play out in front of him, such as things like um, simultaneous time and uh, the theory of eternal recurrence and the role of reincarnation, multidimensionality. Um, but he still has to figure out what he wants to do with it. He has to sort them all out. And that's important because it basically brings up the question of choice, which I think is in many ways what this film is really all about, helping us to understand it's something we always have in our consciousness, whether we're on this side of the veil or on the other one. It's a question of whether or not we exercise it or don't exercise it. Mm -hmm. Now, I said at the beginning that I had to place kind of a conditional review on this one. My main reason for saying that is that the director has done a very skillful job of taking these rather esoteric concepts and depicting them beautifully. But that really, I think, is something that would be lost on someone who's not familiar with these ideas in the first place. Uh, for people who are well-versed in these topics, I think they'll look at it and say, wow, that's a great way of depicting that. I never would have thought of doing it that way. But for those who are unfamiliar with them, I think they may very easily walk out of the theater with a very big puzzled look on their face. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, with that in mind, I would say that, you know, if you're somebody who is well-versed in these topics, by all means, go see it. If you're not, go pick up a couple of good philosophy books and wait until it comes out on home video. Um, the other thing that was a little bit interesting about it, too, is that it's got some beautiful cinematography. It's got a, a, a beautiful soundtrack. Um, it could use a little bit of editing in spots. Some of the sequences are a little drawn out. Um, but basically, um, this is a, a movie that, uh, if you don't mind being a member of the choir who's being preached to, I think you'll really like it. Otherwise, you may want to just sit in the back of the church for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put. Now, is there a way that you could prepare people for it, or is this something? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, uh, one of the uh, theories that that's comes up repeatedly is, is the idea of eternal recurrence, which also relates to reincarnation. So any books I think on reincarnation might help. Uh, any of the works of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche on the subject probably might help. Um, certainly anything in the in the conscious creation area related specifically to multidimensionality or simultaneous time would help us. Those are some of the topics covered in some of the Jane Roberts and Seth books. Um, but it still, I think, um, would take a little bit of time to get through a fair amount of material before you would be able to be able to go in and look at this and say, oh, I get absolutely everything that the filmmaker is talking about here. One of the reasons I like movies so much is you can watch it and then you you can kind of dream on it or talk to someone and then you can go back, watch it again. And sometimes sure. out of it. So this might be one for watch it, let it sink in, talk to people and then watch it. Again. Yeah. And, I, and it might very well be the kind of movie that essentially, <laughs> if you do exercise your own power of choice, you may end up seeing a different movie each time you watch it. 
Mm-hmm. Very strange cool. as that may sound. <laughs> that is so cool. That is really cool. That, that's that's <laughs> kind of like my kind of movie. <laughs> well, the power of choice was something that occurred to me when you were talking when uh, Cynthia was talking about born aware, right? Because that really is uh, we we have all of these abilities and opportunities available to us. Yes. But what makes us us is the choices that we make. It's always amazing how we seem to come up with these interesting synchronicities from show to show, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's, what's the name of that movie again, Brent? I just it's want... called A Ghost Story. Okay. But you want to be careful to make sure it's the one with Casey Affleck and not some... Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people saying, that's, I got the wrong movie. <laughs> well, Brent was no, saying one... that you need to prepare for it, and Cynthia's next book is called... The Everything Answer Book. So maybe that's all you need to prepare for the ghost story. This is a very audacious title for a book, I must say, but um, <laughs> just a wee bit audacious. <laughs> <laughs> By physicist Amit Goswami, and he has a doctorate in physics. He's, um, as Deepak Chopra says, Amit Goswami is one of those rare jewels in the pantheon of quantum physics. I am deeply indebted to him. And that's not an understatement. I would say the same thing about Amit Goswami. Uh, Even though you may not have ever heard of him, uh, just the fact that Deepak said that, I would join Deepak in singing that praise. And he's here in Oregon. Awesome. He's just great. So this book is called The Everything Answer Book, How Quantum Science Explains Love, Death, and the Meaning of Life. And uh, there's a very bold statement to put on the book title, but what's cool about it, is that this book gets into this ideas of quantum physics and how it affects our understanding of things like Zen, thoughts and feelings and intuition, dreams, reincarnation. So yes, it totally fits with that movie. Free will and creativity and the spiritualization of economics and business, politics, education, and society itself. So what I love about this book is, as usual, I just love Amit Goswami's enthusiasm because I can feel it when I read his words. And then he's got this brilliance of clarity in his thinking. That um, Those are the two qualities I love about him so much. And, and both of those shine through in this book because he leads us boldly forward on the path toward understanding consciousness itself. And I think in that standpoint, in that viewpoint, you can easily see that would explain everything. And then he shares the story of his own transformation, which I thought was fascinating, from being initially quite the material realist to uh, uh, eventually becoming a happy physicist. And that was a journey that he and this book encourage us to also take. And along the way, he develops what he calls a quantum worldview awareness. And he explains what that means. And Basically, it's the idea of incorporating some of what we learn from quantum physics into the way we appreciate such things as quantum non-locality, discontinuity, and tangled hierarchies. So Goswami explains how these concepts hold the key to realizing the most profound insights about consciousness and reality. And then he shares a number of practical tips toward the end of the book on how we can utilize these ideas to feel more bliss, more joy, more creativity in our lives. And then once we embrace quantum awareness as our frame of reference, by making the way that we make sense out of the world, then he points out the value of becoming quantum activists. 
utilizing quantum principles to become the change we wish to see in the world. And you, that doesn't mean you have to wear a costume and um, you know hold a picket sign or anything. It's not like that. It's more just your daily life itself can include some of the same things we were talking about earlier from these other books, just self-love, other love, the archetype of love, and just getting into that the, the feeling of purposefulness in your life otherwise get lost in the shuffle when we live these busy, 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 um, rush, rush types of daily lives. Well, Goswami is a very prolific author and he's written a book called The Quantum Activist. He's written a book called Quantum Economics and so on. So would you say that this book is kind of a wrap up of his uh, recent writings? I like it as a physicist. I am a physicist. And one of the things I like is the, uh, he brings in this idea of the, these, um, what he is talking about here, these tangled hierarchies. And I think that's the, the true um, brilliance of this particular book is that concept that that's definitely, you know, that the questions that we ask can affect, um, you know, there's sort of this interesting looping through time phenomenon that you can, um, you know, by looking for a certain thing of, the answer that you're seeking can be affecting you asking the question and it's quite intriguing. And, and that's what I love about each of his books. So I, I view his books maybe through a different lens, but um, like one of his books that changed my life forever brought up the idea of uh, some of the intrinsic assumptions to this material realism that he used to subscribe to that most people unconsciously subscribe to. And what he was pointing out there was that a material things are not all that matters and and in fact we've proven that we know that matter is not all that's there and then he talked about um, non-locality we tend to assume we can conduct an experiment in this little closed space and nothing else will affect it and uh, that's not true and then we assume that the observer has no effect on the experiment well we know for for a fact that's not true and you know so he just broke it down just four assumptions that are material Western science is built on currently, and he by the end of that section, in my mind, he he just blow he just taken TNT dynamite, <laughs> blown up the whole foundation of the way we currently run our experiments, and good for him, because it it helps make sense when we look at things that are otherwise inexplicable right now, such as scientists can't even replicate their own experiments, and I would look to. Amit Goswami and some of the other physicists who have been pointing out for decades now, of course not. You know, your things are changing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get exactly the same results now. Our Western way of doing science needs to be adjusted based on, you know, the underpinnings, the, the, the foundation of it. The assumptions are proven to be wrong. And so, so that's why I, I just have, hold the highest regard and respect for Amit Goswami. So it's, um, I think for the casual reader, each book does have a different gift. This, the, for the non-physicist, this book is cool because it does actually get into um, approaching how do you answer all these things. So you can watch a movie that we just talked about, a ghost story, and make sense of it. Well, here you go. You can read the Everything Answer book and you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Brent, or, or you can watch one of his movies too. He he made a documentary a number of years ago uh, based on his book, The Quantum Activist, which is quite good. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Brent, will you take us home? Yes, I will. Um, one of my final movies for today is something that's a little unusual for me to be reviewing. It's a romantic comedy. 
Um, but it's one that's actually absolutely delightful because it goes beyond the boundaries of what's typically found in a, in a romantic comedy. It's a movie called The Big Sick, which basically tells the, <clears throat> the real-life story behind the unconventional courtship of comedian um, Camille Nanjiani and his wife Emily. Um, basically, you know, a lot of romantic comedies follow the sort of standard formula. This one's a little different because it brings in elements from his own experience that really don't necessarily fit that particular formula. Uh, trying to court your girlfriend, for example, when she's in a coma <laughs> or, when, or, when, <laughs> or when you're uh, a member of a family who is uh, constantly trying to set you up in a traditional arranged marriage when that's not what you want to do. Um, also, it brings in elements having to do with uh, the character finding himself as an individual because he uh, wants to become a stand-up comedian and everybody around him, particularly his family, says, oh no, you should take a respectable position like becoming a lawyer. Well, I think picking a comedian job is much better myself. <laughs> <laughs> In any event, it's a very warm, touching, um, heartfelt story that has uh, a lot of very interesting ups and downs all throughout it. Uh, it's a journey of self-discovery at the same time. Um, and it's also... Um, it's got an edge to it, and that's something else that I really like because a lot of romantic comedies to me tend to be a little too um, namby-pamby, I guess you could say. Uh, this one definitely takes some chances with the humor, takes some chances with the elements of the storyline, and it's really very satisfying all, all the way around. So uh, I would recommend it really highly. Got some great performances in it, particularly a couple of supporting roles featuring um, – Holly Hunter and Ray Romano as his uh, fiance's parents. Um, so this is a this is a fun one, and I think it's very very much a crowd pleaser that people re will really enjoy. It's called The Big Sick. Well, that wraps up our show for today, and I really want to thank our star-studded reviewers, uh, Cynthia Sue Larson and Brent Marchant. Remember to go to their respective websites. Cynthia Sue, which one are you recommending today? That's realityshifters.com. And from there, you can find everything else on social media plus radio show podcast. And Brent? Brentmarchant.com. That's it. Brentmarchant.com. Yep. There okay. you go. You've come up in the world, Brent. <laughs> I have to update my, my blurb. <laughs> <laughs> I like to keep it simple. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm Miriam Knight for It's All Consciousness. See you next time. Goodbye.